My Car Guru, episode 233. Well, hello, this is Lenny Lawson, the Car Guru, and I am so glad that the holiday season is almost over. It has been extremely stressful, and not just for me, for a lot of people, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who were not prepared for these temperatures that we have had. Now, we're in uh, Upper East Tennessee. Pretty close to the mountains. Uh, from where I live, it's about 15 miles to the North Carolina line. And, uh, you know, we're used to, it gets cold here. Um, it might get down into the teens occasionally. Not very often, though. I mean, cold is, you know, freezing. Uh, that's about as cold as it normally gets. And then, you know, it's like next week, it's supposed to be in the 60s here. So that shows you how erratic it is. But last week and this weekend, it was below zero with a, you know, minus 17 to 20 wind chill. And it wreaked havoc on sprinkler systems, including mine. Um, I was driving back from Lenore City with uh, my family, and we were coming. My wife's uh, mother lives down there, and all of her family is down there. And we always celebrate Christmas Eve there. And then drive back. Well, on the way back, we get, I get this phone call. And it was from a lady who had my phone number, didn't recognize her name, but she said, Mr. Lawson, there is water pouring out of your uh, gateway location. And I said, which one? And she said, the one next to the Chevrolet dealership. And I said, oh, okay. So I got off the phone, drove straight there. And folks, I, can't, I really can't describe it other than to say, imagine some garage doors and instead of the water coming underneath the door, it's coming out above the door like a waterfall. And what had happened, the, the sprinkler system had frozen on that side of the building, and it was just spraying like a fire hose. Apparently, those are under a great deal more pressure than just a you know regular water line. And we went inside, and there was probably, I have an 8,000-square-foot showroom area, and it was under about two inches. There's two inches of water covering the floor. It wasn't underwater, but, you know, and all those cars in there sitting in water, computers that were sitting on the ground, destroyed, literally raining from the uh, suspended ceiling because all the sprinklers and are, are up there. Um, bad. So I walk into the showroom, and I thought, okay, what do I do? What, who do I call? And I just... All of a sudden, I said, okay, call 911. And that's what I did. And she said, well, I'm glad you called. I'll call the fire department. And so the fire department was there in probably 15 minutes. And they came in, and they said, where's your cutoff you know, for your sprinkler system? And I, I knew exactly where it was. And we went back there, and he turned it off. Well, it did a lot of damage, needless to say. But apparently, this has happened everywhere. Um, and... So I talked to, uh, well, let's, let's go fast forward here a little bit. I talked to my insurance adjuster, happens to be in Wisconsin. Guess where they don't have a lot of problems with sprinkler systems uh, freezing? Wisconsin. Why? Because they're used to really cold weather. He said, Mr. Lawson, we have had an, a huge number. I've been calling people all morning, and it's all in Tennessee and North Carolina. So apparently we weren't insulated good enough. Because we're just not used to this. But but that's okay. Um, I come back to Gateway Ford, my Ford dealership, and I'm sitting at my desk, and all of a sudden I hear water gushing. Not again. Yep. 
So another pipe had burst in the parts department at my Ford dealership, and it's a new facility, you know, well, relatively new. It's built in 2007, and so uh, had another pipe. Now, that wasn't as bad. We actually found the cutoff and shut it down before it had too much. Of course, my office happens to be right beside the parts department, so my f- floor in my office was flooded. Not a great holiday from that standpoint. And then one of my favorite dogs passed away, and that just has devastated me and will continue to do so for a while because Lucy slept on my lap. I mean, we watched TV together for probably 15 years, and uh, that happened also. So it's been kind of a bummer. But we did enjoy um, getting together with the family and exchanging gifts and celebrating the the birth of our Lord. And, um, you know, and so I relied on him to help me to deal with the stress, you know, from all of this, it is stressful. And I think about other people who have no water in their houses and, um, you know, and, and don't have houses, you know, because they caught on fire or because some other tragedy happened. There's plenty of tragedy to go around. And so, you know, we just have to, as, as humans, we just deal with it, find a way, find a path forward and uh, work with the people that, that are there to help us, just like the fire department for me. And uh, just be thankful, you know, and I called some of our subcontractors and stuff, and they all came running, you know, people who had built the, the dealership and done remodeling and stuff like that. And I'm, and I'm just so thankful that, that there are people that are willing to come when you call. It is so important, folks, to have connections like that. And I talk about that on, my, on this show all the time um, because, you know, you need somebody. You need a plumber. You need somebody you can call, somebody that knows you. And you need somebody, well, you may not need them that often, but it happens. And it's nice that they know your name and you develop a relationship with them. Of course, you're not going to see your plumber that often, but an electrician, especially a car person, you know, somebody that you can trust. It may be a salesperson that you bought your car from. It could be a service advisor at the dealership. You know, latch on to somebody and use them when you have car trouble. I mean, you, you, you've got to have a car guy. Now, I can be your car guy. That's what I do. I'm on this radio show, I give you my, my uh, cell phone number and my, my email address, and you can reach out to me, and I can be your source for information to help your car life move forward when you have issues. But, you know, and even those can be devastating. I had a lady at, uh, I was going to physical therapy for my hip, which is also happening during the holiday, and uh, she just said she needed a vehicle. She, hers was going to be in this uh, body shop getting fixed, and she just didn't have, couldn't rent a car, didn't have any money. I said, well, I'll loan you a car. Really? Yeah, I'll loan you a car. And she kept it for about a week and brought it back, and everything's fine. And so, But you need people like that, don't you? I mean, you need somebody who can handle construction issues at home, plumbing, electrical, a lawyer, maybe, hopefully not. A uh, nice doctor. Everybody has a doctor, right, that you can call on. Well, I'm a car doctor, and you can reach me at 423-552-2020. I guarantee that you have issues that come up with your car that you're really not sure to do or what to do with. Uh, could be a situation you're getting ready to go out and buy one, and you just don't feel comfortable with the process or what your trade-in's worth or what, what are interest rates right now, what kind of rate can you get. I can answer those questions, and I'm available. And you can email me also at Lenny. L-E-N-N-I-E, Lawson2020 at gmail.com. And that's about all you need as far as a car guy is concerned. So anyway. Oh, yeah, my wife said me, uh, told me not to say anyway all the time. She said I say that about four times per episode. So anyway, 
I'll try to stop. And in the meantime, we'll take this short break. Okay, I am back. Today is another educational episode, but I guess most of them are. You know, there's a lot of people that listen to this radio show that already know everything that I'm talking about. They understand how an engine works, how brakes work. We talked about brakes the last full episode. I had to, I missed a couple, so I apologize for that. Sometimes I, the holidays get in the way and, you know, sprinkler systems failing. But the other day we talked about the braking system and how important it is to kind of understand the fundamentals. You know, you go into a, a service department and they come back, you know, you have braking issues, your brake light came on, and they come back and say, yeah, you've got some leaky wheel cylinders and uh, so you need to get that fixed. You mean, it, so it's in the rear brakes then? And they look at you and say, well, how did you know that the wheel cylinders are in the rear brakes? Well, because I have drum brakes and I listened to my car guru and Lenny did a fabulous explanation of, of the difference between disc brakes and drum brakes. Well, good. Who's he? But forgive him. He's just not enlightened like you are. So today we are going to talk about going instead of stopping. Um, you know, the engine has really changed a lot in my lifetime. I was born in 1956. I know, it's hard to believe. I had a lady tell me, boy, you, you sound a lot younger than you look. I, I didn't take that very well. I'm not going to get any work done, though. But, yeah, the engine has definitely changed since 1956. I know in a 56 Chevy you could get an inline six-cylinder. I don't remember the displacement. Or you can get a, uh, let's see, 56. You could get a 283 V8. I think they came out. No, that might have been a 265 V8. You know, that uh, pushrod engine that has been so successful over the years and is still used. It is the most affordable engine to rebuild and, and like put in a hot rod or something like that. It's very popular, even though it's made by General Motors. But, yeah, the old venerable Chevy V8. You know, four-cylinders weren't really that good back then. I mean, they had everything used carburetors. Well, not everything. There were a few fuel-injected cars. Man, they were mechanical fuel injection systems, not electronic like they have now. And they were kind of troublesome. But back then, um, pretty much you either most people got a V8. And if you did get a four-cylinder, it was probably a foreign car. And if it was a Volkswagen, it was a boxer-style engine with the pistons pointing the wrong directions for Americans. I'm trying to think of American cars that had four-cylinder engines. There weren't many. Maybe a Ford Falcon. Uh, even the uh, when Chevy came out with the Corvair in 1960, it had a, a flat six, a boxer six-cylinder engine. Then all of a sudden, Americans got it. Okay, so we might buy these things. They bought them for a while until the Mustang came out and Ralph Nader ruined the party with his unsafe at any speed article or book or whatever it was. It was not good for the reputation of the Chevy Corvair, but it had nothing to do with the engine. So I guess my first driving experience was with V8s. I liked the way they sounded. I could smoke the tires on my car long as my dad didn't know about it. And uh, I really liked that growl and the big four-barrel carburetors and stuff like that. And But I really didn't know anything about engines. I mean, I've been doing this in, uh, well, let's see, I've been working full-time in the car business since 1978. So I'm going on, what, 45 years? I'm still not retired. I'm partially retired, about 17%. 
But let's talk about engines. You know, a lot of people don't have a clue, you know, about how the engine works. You know, it all started with a guy named Otto. He created an engine that had four basic phases. It was called a four-stroke engine. Now, your lawnmower, um, unless you have an old lawn boy, that was a two-stroke. Uh, but your current lawnmower and your current automobile, unless you are driving, see, there's all these exceptions. Unless you're driving a rotary engine, RX-7, okay? Now that we got all the exceptions out of the way, your car is a four-stroke engine referred to originally, uh, created by this guy named Auto. It's called the Auto Cycle. It has four phases, intake, compression, power, and exhaust. And all that's relating to what's going on inside of your engine. So you have a piston. Well, you'll have, if it's a six-cylinder, you'll have six pistons in it. And they go up and down inside the engine, okay? And when it's going down inside the cylinder, it's drawing air into the cylinder and fuel. That's called the intake stroke. Okay, you with me so far? Now, when it goes back up, it's compressing that uh, mixture of air and fuel. That's called the compression stroke. When that ignites, because the spark plug ignites it, it pushes down. There's an explosion in your car, and that's happening just millions of times inside your engine on a typical drive. So the, that forces the piston down. That's called the power stroke. Now, when it reaches the bottom of that stroke, it starts heading back up again. And a little valve opens up on the top of the engine, and that's called the exhaust stroke. And that's where it pushes out all the exhaust. As soon as it does that, it starts back down again. That's another intake stroke. So this process just keeps repeating itself inside your engine. A lot of moving parts. It's interesting. I remember when the, the RX-7 came out, the rotary engine RX-7. They used to brag about how, how few moving parts it had versus the regular internal combustion engine. Um, I think at the time they said that there were 186 moving parts inside a six-cylinder engine, which would be the equivalent in power to the rotary engine, which only had three moving parts. Now, the rotary engine, I said at the beginning of this that it, that it didn't use the, uh, it's not four-stroke. I misspoke. I just now remembered that, yes, it is a four-stroke engine. Uh, the rotary engine just does it in a circular motion instead of up and down and up and down. So, But we won't go there. But there's a couple key things I want you to focus on, one of, the, one of which is temperature. All of this up and down motion creates a lot of temperature. What controls that, keeps your car from overheating, is the cooling system, which is the radiator and the antifreeze and the water pump and all those different things. That's so important to maintain that. Equally important uh, is the oil and the quality of oil in your engine. What makes all those metal parts slide by each other and not lock up, lock up is the oil. And so it's critical that you keep that oil fresh and clean. And if your manufacturer recommends that you change oil every 15,000 miles, um, I guess you can do that if you want to, but that's not what is recommended by the guru. Change your oil every 5,000 miles. Make sure you have adequate coolant protection because it'll save your engine. Let's talk a little bit about some of the different engines that have come out over the years. You know, the, the smallest engines that we sell now are actually three cylinders. That seems like that would be out of balance, but they have something called 
counter-rotating balance shafts that go through the engine that keeps everything smooth. Some of the three-cylinders that we sell, like in the Bronco Sport, I mean, it's smoother than a lot of V8 engines that we sell. So, you know, we do have three cylinders. There have been two-cylinder engine cars and one-cylinder engine cars. But most people around here uh, know of four cylinders, uh, either an inline-six or a V6, and then a V8. So several years ago, Ford decided, okay, we've got to do something to improve the fuel economy in our vehicles, especially our trucks. So rather than do what General Motors did and go with cylinder deactivation, basically what that means is when all that activity is going on, you remember when in the compression stroke, uh, the spark plug goes off? Well, what happens in, in the General Motors engine is on certain cylinders, like maybe th- two of the cylinders or for the cylinders, the spark plug doesn't go off. And so you've only got on a V8 engine, you only have four cylinders that are actually generating power. That's how they achieve better fuel economy. Ford said, nah, we don't want to do that. That sounds complicated. Let's just put in smaller displacement engines. And what that means is smaller, less cubic inches, uh, less liters. So, I mean, just think about it. The typical four-cylinder engine back in the 70s was about 2.5 2.5 liters, okay? Now we're talking about one and a half liters. Very small engine. Um, and V6s have even got smaller displacement too. And the reason they can do that is because they use turbocharging. You ever heard of a turbocharger? Well, what is that? Well, you know, when you talk about how the engine works, one of the things that engines need is air. And the more air that you can push into the cylinder when it is right before it compresses, then it's just like blowing on a fire. You know, when you blow on a fire, what it does, it, it blows up, right? I mean, it, it creates more flame. Uh, fires like oxygen, and so do engines. And so when you can blow more air in there, especially if it's cool air, then it will generate more power out of a smaller displacement engine. So that's where turbochargers come in. Turbocharger is kind of outside the engine. And it has a a vent, basically, that picks up exhaust gas as it comes out of the engine, and it spins a a fan. And that fan spins another fan that is useful in sucking air into the engine and blowing it into the cylinder. That's what a turbocharger does. Now, one of the ways to make turbocharging more efficient is to add one more component. Because you can imagine it's pretty hot in that engine, right, in that engine bay, and that exhaust is, is spinning the turbocharger, that air that goes back into the engine could, could be pretty hot, couldn't it? Well, that's why they have something called an intercooler. And that allows the air that's being uh, turboed, basically, that's being forced into the engine to go through this um, intercooler. It cools it down a few degrees. And when you blow that into the engine, you get even more power. Something about cold air uh, will have a better effect on an engine than hot air. Kind of works for car salespeople as well. Blow less hot air, right? Okay, one more thing. The supercharger. You ever heard of a supercharger? Well, some of the cars that we sell have that. The, uh, the Ford GT500 uses a supercharger instead of a turbocharger. It is not powered by the hot exhaust that's coming out of the uh, exhaust uh, manifold. It is powered by a belt that spins in the front of the end just like your uh, other belts. 
So when you give it more gas, it forces more air. So that's kind of a, a different take. A lot of drag racers and stuff use superchargers. It's a, it's a good way to go for instant power. Turbos, I guess the wrap against turbochargers has been that they, there's a little bit of lag there. And most of the manufacturers have f- figured out ways to minimize that. It's not like the cars that I used to drive in the, in the 80s that had turbochargers. I mean, you would stomp your foot on the gas, and then you had to wait for the turbo to spin up so that you could get the acceleration. It was definitely not instant. It was very irritating, as a matter of fact. So basically, we are in a revolution right now when it comes to engine technology. The engine, internal combustion engine, is healthy. It's going to be around for another 30 or 40 years. You know, it'll be powering a lot of uh, heavy-duty vehicles and and really passenger cars, too. This electric thing is going to work. Uh, over the next 10 to 15, maybe 20 years, more people will be doing electric vehicles. I think hybrids are a, a much better way to go now. If you want to, to take advantage of better fuel economy, get a hybrid. All that does is it puts a, a smaller electric motor and a smaller battery than a full EV on a vehicle. And then it uses uh, braking and deceleration to recharge the battery. And you don't plug it in or anything. And then the, whenever it's not when it, whenever you're not able to run on battery power, you you've got that engine, which I like having that engine there, just as a security blanket. Okay, I'm gonna take my last break and be back here in just a second. Well, you definitely don't hear a lot of people talking about another type of uh, four-stroke engine or auto cycle engine, and that's the diesel engine anymore, unless you're driving a an F250 or a Chevy. 2,500, 3,500, you know, the, the people that are pulling their fifth wheels and stuff like that, they like diesel engines. Why? Well, because they have more torque. And there's a, a lot of good reasons for that, but one of the big reasons is that diesel engines don't use spark plugs. They, have, uh, they are so much beefier as far as the metal is, is concerned in the engine because because the compression in a diesel engine is much higher. It uses the compression, just squeezing that gas and fuel mixture to the point where it it ignites. That's one of the reasons diesels were a lot noisier, because that process just creates a lot of noise. Now, they've been able to reduce that dramatically. I mean, you can actually have a conversation standing beside a diesel truck. Now, you you couldn't do that uh, 20 years ago. They were just so noisy, but they've advanced in the way they insulate the engine and also in the way the fuel injection works. But one of the reasons that the diesel has so much more torque is because of what's going on with that piston. The stroke is much longer, and when you have a much longer stroke, then that generates more twisting force on the crankshaft, which drives the wheels. So how's that for a simple explanation? That's a very complicated thing brought down to earth by the guru. So if you have any questions, you know, about complex things like this, I'll try to simplify it as much as possible. I hope that by simplifying, I haven't insulted anybody. I didn't want to sound like a second grade teacher or something, but you know, sometimes you have to get down to where, where they can understand. This is how I explained it to my daughters. I mean, this is exactly how I did, and they kind of understand how the engine works now. I think that's important so that when you take your car out to get it serviced and somebody says you've got a something's bad in your turbo, I mean, there's a lot of people say, what's a turbo? Well, see, now you know. So hopefully that is helpful. Call me if you need me, 423-552-2020. 
That's my cell phone, and my email address is Lenny, L-E-N-N-I-E, Lawson2020 at gmail.com, and we will see you next time.